are thankful for the love that you have for us and that that love can quiet our hearts and that you can speak to us from your heart of love to our hearts so that we can know you and we can follow you and we can experience the life that you have come to give us. As we open up your word and we read from it, I pray that your Holy Spirit would take uh, the words that Jesus has spoken and that they would be applied to our lives today. It's in his good name we pray, amen and amen. Take your Bibles, look with me to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, and we're going to look in just a a couple of moments at a uh, verse of Scripture as we continue to work through our series of the Beatitudes, a series that I've titled Hashtag Blessed because all of us uh, want to live a life that can be categorized as one of blessing, and there's absolutely nothing wrong with that desire. There are numerous ways in which God blesses us, and and we should certainly be thankful for those blessings. Many of those blessings are tangible. Uh, food, clothing, shelter, those kinds of things. And, and we should be thankful for those blessings. Many of those blessings are spiritual, the forgiveness of our sins, the redemption that we have in Jesus Christ, the fact that we are forever a part of his family. And, and for those blessings, we should be uh, thankful and, and we should seek and desire to live that kind of blessed life. Some of the blessings that God gives us, however, we have the ability to turn into humble brags, right? Uh, God has blessed us, but somehow we find a way to make that blessing about us. A blessed life, according to God's definition and God's perspective, is much more than the sum of what you have or what you achieve. It can certainly include those things, but it is much more than those things. Jesus spoke about a blessed life that was totally focused not upon what a person had, but upon who a person is. Jesus knew that our blessings could be external, but he you that the true blessings of life were also internal. And you clearly see this distinction in the first part of the most famous sermon Jesus ever preached. It's called the Sermon on the Mount. It occupies a small slice of real estate in the New Testament, Matthew chapter 5, chapter 6, and chapter 7. That Sermon on the Mount, the very first part of that sermon, the first 12 verses are called the Beatitudes. And when you look at what Jesus said in those first 12 verses, well, just just listen to what he said. He he opened his mouth in Matthew chapter 5 verse 2, and he taught them saying, listen to what Jesus said the blessed life is about. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who 
hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Did you hear all that? I mean, that kind of blessed life, let's be honest, it doesn't trend well on Twitter. It doesn't get a lot of likes on Facebook. There's not a lot of hearts that are clicked on Instagram for that kind of life. Nevertheless, followers of Jesus will experience a truly hashtag blessed life when they pursue the Beatitudes. Now we're looking today specifically at the sixth Beatitude, purity, and I've titled our message this morning, The Pursuit of Purity, and it's from one verse in Matthew chapter 5, specifically verse 8. Look at what Jesus said. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. The blessed life is lived by the one who has a pure heart, and the promise for the person who has that pure heart is that they will see God. As much as any other beatitude, this one about a pure heart causes conflicting emotions in our hearts. At first, hearing this verse should trouble us because we We know that in our hearts, we are not pure. Let me ask you this. This past week, since we last gathered to worship, have you said a word you shouldn't have said? (laughs) Uh, Have you told a lie? Everybody just put your hand up. You just did. I mean, have you said something you shouldn't have said or, or thought something you shouldn't have thought or... Or, or acted upon something that didn't glorify God? I mean, every, have you, have you broken the speed limit? Did, did you, I'm going to really get to meddling now. Uh, did that light turn yellow and you knew good and well you weren't going to get across it by the time it turned red, but you waited for it to turn red and you still turned? Yeah, the silence is deafening, Okay. Everything we've done in our lives, every day of our lives, reminds us that we are not pure people. And so at first we're troubled because we know in our hearts that we do not possess the purity that we need to possess. However, once we see and understand what Jesus has done for us, we realize that Jesus, Jesus, not us, Jesus is able to make us pure, which then enables us to have a relationship with God. And so that burden of being impure is released. That is a blessed life when that burden is gone. You see, what Jesus is telling us is And what Scripture bears out is that we face a huge dilemma in trying to establish a relationship between ourselves and God. 
Because God is a holy God who is absolutely pure and absolutely righteous in him. There is no sin. God offers salvation to sinful people, which causes sinful people to ask, how can a pure, how can a holy God give salvation to impure and unholy and sinful people? This was the question that most people had in their minds as they sat on that hillside that day and listened to Jesus preach his sermon on the mount. More than any other single beatitude, this one gives us the answer to that question. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. They and they alone will see God. It's not those who observe external rules who will see God. It's not those who go through rituals and ceremonies that will see God. It's not those who have reached a certain level of human achievement who will see God. The pure in heart will see God. The pure in heart can have a relationship with God. Listen to these questions. Who will enter God's kingdom? Who will go to heaven? Who is fit to enter God's presence? Who is saved? Who will ever have a vision of God? Who will know what the blessed life is really like? Only those who are pure in heart. My conclusion then is that we better start pursuing purity, right? If this is the person who will see God, then our task is to pursue purity. What does that even mean? What does it mean when Jesus says to be pure in heart? And, and here, just bear with me for a couple of minutes as we set the stage for this. The Bible, from cover to cover, when you look at the totality of Scripture, the Bible seems to indicate that there are five kinds of purity. Now, we're going to blow through the first three very quickly because I don't think that those are the three Jesus is talking about. But again, from Genesis to Revelation, purity seems to show up and to be labeled, we can label it, five different kinds. There is what we can call divine purity. That is the, the purity that belongs to the Lord, the purity that is intrinsic in his nature. When Isaiah saw the Lord, he said, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. So, so there is this certain divine purity that God alone has. There is also in scripture what we might call creation purity. That is when God saw everything that he made before sin entered the world, it was pure. His creation as he created it was pure. That's why God looks at all he created in Genesis 131 and he says it is very good. It is pure. There is also glorified purity and that is a purity that we have yet to attain. That is why we can say that you know we, we are saved and we are being saved but we have not yet been fully saved. There are still parts of our body that hurt. Can I get a witness? 
There's still eyeglasses we need to wear. There's still part of us that's not yet completely glorified, completely pure, but God will make us pure. And as he glorifies us, Jesus says through the apostle John in 1 John 3, 2, that we're God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we'll be like him as glorified purity. Now, I think that Jesus, I don't think he's referring to those kinds of purity. When he says in Matthew's gospel, blessed are the pure, I think he was referring to the last two. There is something that, that we, for lack of a better term, that, that I, I call positional purity. And what that means is simply this. When, when we place faith in Christ, when we repent of our sins, the purity of Jesus is given to us and God views us as if we're robed with the righteousness of Christ. This is what Paul meant when he spoke in 2 Corinthians 5.21 and said, For our sake the Father made the Son, him who knew no sin, to be sin for us, so that in him, in Jesus, we might become the righteousness of God. That is God takes the purity of Jesus and he gives that purity to us. You say, Pastor, that does not sound very fair. That's why we sing amazing grace, not mediocre grace. It's an act of the grace of God. So that positionally we are pure. Blessed are those who are in Christ, who've been given the purity of Christ, for they shall see God. And I also think he's referring to practical purity. This is the one that's challenging. This is the part that's challenging for us. Practical purity occurs when we live out our position in practical ways. That's this, that God makes us pure. And after he makes us pure positionally in Christ, he then expects us to act and live with purity. Second Corinthians chapter 7, verse 1. Paul said, since we have these promises, and the promises he's talking about from chapter 6 are promises of our salvation. Since we have these promises of our place in God's kingdom and God's family, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit. That's purity. Bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. In making the statement Jesus made, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. I believe Jesus had in mind these last two pictures of purity, positional and practical. The, the word pure, as Jesus uses it, basically has two meanings, both of which relate to our position in Christ and how we live out that position in practical ways. You see, to be pure means to make something pure by cleansing it from its dirt, from its filth or from its contamination. It's like when you, when you have dirty, muddy clothes and they are made clean. They are made pure. That is positional purity. That is that God cleanses us from our impurity. 
The other meaning of the word pure means to be uh, undiluted or or unmixed. There's no double allegiance. There's a singleness of heart as opposed to a a divided heart. Think about what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 24. Jesus said, no man can serve two masters for he will be devoted to the one and he will despise the other. Jesus said you have to be single-minded. You have to be single-hearted. Your heart must pursue one thing. And to be pure means that you get rid of those things that would take your allegiance away from Jesus. Taken together then, here is the picture of purity I believe Jesus is, is teaching us. A person who is pure in heart is someone who has been cleansed of their sin by Jesus and then they live from that position of purification by being committed to Jesus Christ and by following him and him alone. A couple of important things for you to note about that definition. The living pure comes after you're made pure. Did you catch that? That is, you cannot manufacture purity of heart on your own. I have a challenge for you if you think you can. I want you starting today to catalog every thought you have, every word you say, every text you send, everything that you do when the lights are off behind closed doors and it's just you, Every motive you have for doing, I want you to do that for about two or three days. And if you can bring me a list, well, in fact, I don't want to see your list. (laughs) Because your list is going to be very long of things that are sinful. We, We cannot manufacture purity. This practical purity comes after the fact that Jesus has made us pure. But also notice when we talk about this that what this means also is that our goal is not just to get to heaven. Our goal is to get heaven to us. See, our goal is not just to say, okay, Jesus, save me, and I'll just hang out here, I guess, till he comes back or I die. And once that happens, I'll go to heaven and I'll have a little bit, maybe I have a little bit of fun between now and then. That is not the, the purpose of life. God gives us the purity of Jesus so that we can live that purity out in our lives. You say, oh, pastor, that's all nice and sounds fine, but how do you do that? Believing that Jesus has in mind positional purity and and practical purity, what does our pursuit of that look like? And I appreciate you asking the question. Because there's some good news. And it's not just good news about this, it's good news about anything God calls you to do. Did you know that God will never call you to do something unless he gives you the ability to do what he's called you to do? Did you know that? God will never ask you (coughs) to follow him unless he gives you the ability as you rely upon him to follow him. God will never ask you to obey a command without giving you the ability to do it. 
God will never call you to pursue purity unless he gives you the ability to pursue it. Look at what Paul said in Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 and 13. He said, therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Our responsibility is to work out our salvation after God redeems us. To live out practically what we possess positionally. God's promise as we do that is that he will work in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. In pursuing purity we cannot sit back and do nothing nor can we cleanse ourselves or clean ourselves up on our own in our own power. Therefore, how do we pursue it? Real quick. First, admit that we possess no purity in and of ourselves. If you want to pursue, if you're going to live out Matthew 5, 8 to be pure in heart, you have to admit that you possess no purity in and of yourself. Our first step must be to admit that we cannot change on our own. We cannot change over, turn over enough new leaves to capture the purity of Jesus. We cannot work hard enough for it. You can be baptized every tadpole in the Gulf of Mexico knows you by name, and it won't help you attain the purity of Jesus. It is a gift that must be received. Solomon reminds us in Ecclesiastes chapter 1 and verse 15 that what is crooked cannot be made straight. You and I are crooked because of sin and we can't make ourselves straight. So we admit that need. Second, seek a new heart in a relationship with God. If you want to pursue purity, you got to admit that you can't do it on your own and then you seek a new heart in a relationship with God. If the problem is that our hearts are impure, the solution is to have them purified to ask God to give us a new one. And according to, to Acts 15.9, it speaks of how our hearts are cleansed by God through faith. That's our salvation, our positional purity. Look, when Jesus died on the cross, he took the sin that was accounted to me and he paid my penalty for my sin. He then gave his righteousness to me. Jesus took my sin and gave me his righteousness by faith, through faith, God makes us pure, giving us a new heart. You will never experience purity of heart if you don't ask Jesus to give you a new one. We admit that we can't achieve this purity. We, we seek a new heart relationship with God, and then God saves us. And then, so, so what then? Third, if you want to be pure in heart, Do whatever you can to draw close to God. Whatever it takes to draw close to God. This moves us to that aspect of practical purity, of living out our position in Christ. Listen to what James 4.8 says. Draw near to God, and God will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. And purify your hearts, 
you double-minded. Look, some of you walked into this room today double-minded. Some of you walked into this room this day and you were drawing kind of near to God. Close enough to God to make you feel good that you weren't a total rebel. For you see, when we want to feel good, oh, let me just talk about me and you can just say it's true about you too, because it is. When I want to feel better about my morality, you know what I do? I find someone else who I know has worse morals than me. My standard is always someone who I think is a bigger sinner than me. But when I make God my standard, I realize, huh, I am double-minded. Last week, we were with our kids at, uh, uh, in Mississippi at Family Weekend, and we, we worshiped with them Sunday morning, and I listened to Chip Henderson, Dr. Chip Henderson of Pine Lake Church in, in, in Brandon. I uh, listened to him preach a sermon, and he was talking about uh, how much we, we dabble with sin and how much we play with sin. And, and he asked a question, and it was a really a question I've really pondered all this week. He's like, how, how close to God do you need to be? How much of sin do you need to play with? Well, just think about this. How much cancer do you want the doctor to get out? All of it. And his other question was, how many LSU friends do you want to have over Thanksgiving dinner? The answer was zero, right? <laughs> I thought, how could I use that here? And I was like, I couldn't. I'm going to make someone mad no matter what. So that's Chip Henderson, P.O. Box 1004. How, how close do you want to draw to God? As close as you can get. Do whatever it takes to get near to God, to get in God's presence. Fourth, you want to pursue purity. Use God's word as the standard by which you live your life. Not opinion, not speculation, not what the preacher says. Use the Word of God. Your copy of God's Word, whether it's bound up in leather or goat skin or calf skin or whether it's on an electric device, get yourself grounded in God's Word. Use His Word as the standard by which you live your life. The psalmist David asked a very important question in Psalm 119 and verse 9. He said, how can a young man, how can anyone keep his way pure by guarding it according to your word. You see, this word of God is pure. And when the purity of the word of God comes into your life, when it settles into your heart, guess what happens? Your impurity does not drive out God's purity. What happens is that the purity of God's word drives out the impurity of your heart. So you have to make the word of God the standard by which you live your life. And then fifth, finally, you want to pursue purity, focus on your future hope. So I don't know if you've picked up on this or not by what we've shared and said already, but pursuing purity and living that out practically is a lifelong challenge. Sometimes you succeed, sometimes you fail. In those moments, just anyone struggle with sin this week? Anybody other than me? Okay. Any of the rest of you, I need to hang out with you, I guess, more. Uh, the struggles we have with sin 
And when we fall and when we fail, in those moments of failure, when you choose to practice what is not pure, don't despair. Don't quit. Keep your eyes focused on what's to come. Did you know that according, if the Bible's true, and I believe it is, that the Bible tells us the more we keep our eyes focused on what Jesus will do in the future, the more purified life we will live until he gets here. There's a little epistle, a little letter. It's called 1 John. <clears throat> and in 1 John chapter 3, verses 2 and 3, John says this, Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. And listen, and everyone who thus hopes in Jesus purifies himself, as he, as Jesus, is pure. Focus on your future hope. If you knew for a fact that Jesus was going to return in about two hours, what would you do differently in your life? I bet whatever it is, I bet it'd be pure. <laughs> if we knew Jesus would, was going to return in two hours, we would want him to find us living out the purity we possess in him. Guess what? He could return. I'm praying he comes in about an hour. <laughs> he could do it in any moment. Live in light of the future hope we have in Jesus. Are you engaged in the pursuit of purity? Has Jesus purified your heart? Do you have a relationship with God through the work of Jesus on the cross, that is the only way to have your heart purified by God. If the answer to that question for you is no, then your next step is to cry out to God and ask that he make your heart pure. To confess your sins to him, to repent of those sins, and to ask Jesus to be your Lord and Savior. <clears throat> he will give you his righteousness as he takes away your unrighteousness. The way that you ask him to do that is through a thing we call prayer. In fact, if you've never placed your faith in Jesus and you realize this morning that your heart is not pure in the sight of God, but you desire for God to make it pure, in a few minutes when I pray, just ignore me. And you pray right where you are as best you know how and confess your sin to God. If you do that, the angels rejoice, and we love to rejoice with you. If you make that decision today, would you share that decision with us so we can celebrate the fact that God has purified your heart? Say, Pastor, God purified my heart many years ago. Great. Are you living from that position in practical ways? Are you doing practical things to pursue purity in your heart. Why should we be so concerned about it? Because the pure in heart are blessed, for they shall see God. God reserves intimate fellowship with himself to those who were un, 
mixed in their devotion to him. The more we pursue purity, the surer we become of God, and the closer we get to God, the more pure we will become. Because you see, at the end of the day, pursuing purity is pursuing a person. It's pursuing Jesus. Are you pursuing him today? Would you bow with me this morning? As we bow our heads together, I'm going to pray, and after I pray, we're going to have a, have a time of commitment. Whatever God's placed upon your heart this morning, we just want to encourage you to say yes and to surrender to God. If he's calling you to cry out to him for salvation, cry out to him for salvation. As best you know how, confess your sins to God, share with him your desire to be saved, and ask him to save you. I don't know what your next step is. It might be salvation. It might be baptism. It might be church membership. It might be to magnify Jesus more gloriously in your life. I don't know what God has placed on the table in front of you that he's asking you to do. All I will ever ask you to do is to put your yes on that table to whatever God is leading you to do this morning. Father God, I'm thankful that Jesus came to live the life that I could never live. A life of perfection that honored and glorified you perfectly and purely in every way. I'm thankful that he died the death I should have died. Paying the penalty for my sin, dying in my place. I'm thankful that many years ago, I didn't know much about you, but I just knew that I was a sinner who needed a heart to be purified. And I knew that you were the only one who could do it. And so I just prayed a simple prayer that confessed my sin and believed in my heart that what the Word says about you is true and ask you to save me. At that moment, Lord, many years ago, you purified my heart. You secured my place in your family. But I confess that living from that position has not always been my practice. I'm thankful for your grace that picks us up when we fall down and gives us another opportunity to live practically in practical ways from a pure heart. Help us do that today. Whatever you're placing upon our hearts today, help us simply say yes. In Jesus' good name we pray. Amen.